So that was actually scored by Gyps Fulvis. In case you didn't, you know, catch it last time. But, uh, yeah, Gyps Fulvis. Thanks, man. All right, welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It's January the 13th. Wow. And I've got a great show for you this week. That's right, 13th of January. All right, first, uh, before I talk about the show proper... Proper. Um, yeah, today was a brew day. I brewed some beer today. Pretty stoked about that. I brewed my Pilsner, and that has become infamous amongst local circles here. Uh, it's just your standard Pilsner beer, but it's made with love. Love. My love. I give you a little kaka, a little bagak of love in each swallow. <laughs> Completely filthy. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It, it's turned into, it started as uh, me exercising a bit of fun with some friends, uh, the brewing of the beer. And really it's turned into uh, my wife and I having just sort of a, a family day together. Uh, this exercise of brewing beer for both of us. And the irony of it all is that I really don't drink that much. In fact, I've become, and I don't understand why, I don't pretend to really get it at all, I've become less tolerant of alcohol the older I get. Uh, so genetically, if you believe in that, uh, I'm predisposed to alcoholism, and and so I've always sort of been cautious, and I just don't like the idea, and this is really actually one of the <laughs> big reasons why I'm not a big drug addict, because I I like to be in control of my faculty, I don't like the feeling of... Um, just frantic lack of control. So, you know, I, I'm really not one of those crazy weirdo potheads or, um, you know, dope heads that you, you're going to find out there in the world. I much prefer legal substances. And even then, in moderation, very <laughs> diminishing nowadays. And I don't get it. I drank a lot as a youth. <laughs> that was sort of, and it was probably because I was a youth that I was drinking a lot. But, yeah, the like... Honestly, nowadays, a glass of wine, I'm happy. I don't need more than that. If I can get uh, this sort of light, light buzz, then I am ecstatic. That's all I need. And so that means, for me, a heavy drinking weekend, brace yourselves, it's like three beers. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't need more than that. It, and, and this sort of flies in the face of, uh, I, I guess it would be, American drinking culture where you just get shit faced, black out, and that's a good time. Not really for me. Like, if I can get a good buzz and maintain that for a number of hours, 
I am absolutely good to go. Like that is all I need. I hate waking up with a headache. I hate waking up feeling sick. And so I do everything I can to enjoy myself with alcohol responsibly uh, without, you know, the messy side effects of it. So that means that we have this stock of beer <laughs> in my house. Because it's funny because I love brewing beer. I love the smell of the uh, cooking wort uh, hops, the aroma that just sort of assaults your senses. When you first crack open that keg to siphon from the primary to the secondary container of beer, and that, that yeast that has been super active, just churning all of that sugar into alcohol, hits your face, and it's like this burning sensation going into your nostrils. I love that sensation of, wow, this is this is the natural way, um, the only way, of creating this uh, magical elixir that literally brings people to me, just to taste it. Because anyone you meet, if you tell them you're a home brewer, immediately it's like you're telling them that you're an alchemist and you have a love potion for them they want to try it good or bad it doesn't matter they just want to try it because it's something so foreign to the average individual and this is i don't know if this speaks largely to the degeneration of our human culture but to create something with your own two hands is a foreign idea to most people you make your own beer, you cook your own dinner, you you grow and slaughter your own cows. Like these ideas are so insane to some people because they've been so removed due to our advancement, ironically, as a culture, that just the idea of making something with your own two hands is magical now. I mean, and I guess it's not that far from, you know, our ancient ancestors. Um, you know, it was this sort of, mystical thing that it would be monks creating beer or creating wine and selling it to the local community to continue their sort of uh, crazy religious obsessions and now i'm doing it <laughs> um not I, you know obviously i'm not making any money off of it it's just for me my family and my close friends but it's still that sort of personal magical expression of of, of my own individual passion that i sort of spread across the globe in a very non- sexual way <laughs> which for me is amazing because everything just happens to always boil down to sex okay so that's that's my that's what i did today had a great time and i did the exact same thing last week i'm sort of building up a stock for the potential of perhaps over the pond visitors coming in sometime around uh you know this late spring looking forward to that if it happens and cross okay so i talked to you last week cross is coming now this is a comic that i wrote and i reached out to some really good friends over at tribe after dark and they are inking it and, and that's finished they lettered together my writings and now i sent it off to a second pair of eyes to i sort of just verify whether it made sense if there was any spelling errors and stuff like that it's always good a helpful hint swallow your pride people get someone else's eyes on your creative because it's going to benefit you so i reached out and uh, got word back and so i'm going to be making some final edits on the copy and sort of the arrangement of the text in this first comic of cross and then i reached out to another person that's been on the show very recently last week maybe and i'm i'm hoping that they're going to color the ink of the first 
issue of this. And if they do, fantastic. If not, then I'll figure out another way. It really just comes down to time. But I'm trying to create a product that I know my audience is going to appreciate, you, and that I'm going to be happy saying this is something that I worked on for a little while. It's a fantastic story. It has immense potential and it can grow into something very exciting and very creative, sexual, fun, weird, sort of, and evil. <laughs> what we love, evil. Um, all right. So, Cross is coming. It's just, you know, probably going to be a month later than I had talked about, uh, you know, last month. All right, and Radio Free Satan people, I've already gotten requests for the Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema episode, The Brotherhood of Satan, featuring guests Magister Magi Paradise and Reverend Bill M. Now, this is only available and will only be available through this Radio Free Satan drive for a bit of time, so if you want it, you're going to have to uh, drop a little scroll on the network that's giving you a bunch of free content. That's right, Radio Free Satan. So you tune into Radio Free Satan every single week, and maybe even every single day. And honestly, even if it's only like once every quarter of a year, you should be, uh, you know, feeling like it may be worth it to drop a dime in order to keep enjoying said content. Bills have to be paid. Music is played that has license costs. Um, uh, us DJs, we foot a lot of the bill ourselves for these individual shows. So rather than you handing us a five spot, which you know wouldn't be bad anyway, but rather than handing us a five spot, you pass it over to RadioFreeSatan.com. They're hosting the majority of the episodes digitally on their servers, providing them to you free of charge for literally years. And if you haven't noticed, Radio Free Satan has gone through a bit of an upgrade, like a, a website digital upgrade. So check out the website, RadioFreeSatan.com. Check out the diverse, vast array of shows that are currently available. And there are a lot, and more being added every single day. There's some amazing content out there. Now, we're offering it free, understanding that hopefully you're going to find value in it. Repeat value. And that means you're going to be dropping a little bit of Skrilla to keep it going. Therefore, you have a stake in Radio Free Satan. I have a stake in Radio Free Satan. And together we can continue producing fantastic, amazing satanic content for years to come. Now, because you are a responsible individual, because you believe that nothing really is free and that you feel like you should be a part of something greater like Radio Free Satan, I am going to reward you. That's right. Out of the kindness of my heart. Not really. It's just a way for me to cheaply convince you to drop a little money on the network. <laughs> okay, so you drop $10 on RadioFreeSatan.com, and I'm going to give you the MP3, which isn't available anywhere, of Black House's Blue... <laughs> I just added a possession there. Black House Blue's him of the satanic empire that's right uh les hernandez uh lou hutchinson uh nick green adam p campbell you know that guy right he's amazing that's me uh anyway <laughs> we got together and we decided to create our interpretation of what a blues rock version of anton LaVey's hymn of the satanic empire would be 
and we have delivered. So this is available right now on YouTube. If you go to my YouTube channel and you can listen to the song, you can also go to blackhouseblues.com. But if you want the MP3, I'll give it to you free. Just uh, help out Radio Free Satan by dropping 10 bucks on them. Uh, on their homepage, you'll see a little donate button if you scroll down on the right column. And if you want to do $15, you can get, I already mentioned it, Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, episode The Brotherhood of Satan, featuring Magister Magi Paradise and Reverend Bill M. Again, this is only available for quite some time if you drop a little bit of Skrilla on RadioFreeSatan.com. And if you drop $20, I'm going to give you my ebook of how Crow got his scare back. It's a children's book, but it's a message for every single human being. <laughs> because we were all kids once, right? Every one of us. Everyone. All right. And if you drop that $20 mark and you don't want my ebook, that's fine. I'll give you whatever other reward you want. So if instead you want the episode of Satanist and Satanic Cinema, fine. No problem. If instead you want the, the, the song, Hymn of the Satanic Empire, awesome. Send me the email that you sent the PayPal payment to. I will verify payment and I will get you your reward free. That's right free and we're supporting each other making some fantastic decisions about the future of RadioFreeSatan.com meaning we're going to keep doing this so be a part of it take ownership of Radio Free Satan this is your chance and I'm going to reward you for doing so all right so let's talk about the show since I've been ranting on here uh, in the devil's advocate I'm going to give you it's not really an article it's more of an email and commentary and, and not even email it's traditional mail it's from Underworld Amusements release Letters from the Devil. And this is uh, an article that Anton LaVey had uh, back in the day. This is just one of the issues. I'm going to give you uh, a little bit of a little bit of perspective on it. And the Infernal Informant, did Ed Coach really say that about Obama? And Powell blasts GOP's dark vein of intolerance. Ooh. <laughs> and the creature feature. I talked with Shay Belay, a poet, about his uh, upcoming album, Seem Soom. A little hard to say, eh, but I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like the music because I'm going to be playing one of his tracks during the interview. That's right. Good stuff. All right, so I have an amazing show for you this week, and it's going to start right now. You are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. I've actually gotten a little bit of feedback. And, and let me first start off by saying, 
In my opinion, any feedback is good feedback. You send me an email, info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. And let me know what you would like to see change. I appreciate all of the feedback I get. And I take it to heart because I want to create a product that you enjoy more than anything else. So send me your email or, you know, let me just know what you're thinking. Um, and I did receive feedback on the bumpers for each of the shows. So each of the segments. Before every segment, I obviously record a new segment every single year and I've received a little bit of feedback saying that it might have been too long might have been too loud I've adjusted volumes obviously to make sure that uh, I don't blow out your eardrums while you listen to me uh, in your iPod or on your vehicle but I want to know are the segments too long would you prefer just a transition of uh, music that's a couple seconds right now everything I do is under a minute but I understand that if you're trying to catch up to the show, I have like two years of content, then you could be listening to multiple episodes a week and maybe one minute is too long for you. So if you think that the segments between each or, or the intros, the buffers between each episode are too long, shoot me an email, let me know. I also on Facebook have put up a poll and I understand some people don't like public acknowledgement but I appreciate the feedback if you're willing to give it, even if it's negative. So let me know if it's too long, let me know if it's just right, or let me know if you just don't have any opinion on the matter. Uh, it's only going to serve you better if you let me know. Honesty is always appreciated, um, truly. Okay, so this is, uh, this is an article from The ex Exploiter, actually. And this is from an article Anton LaVey wrote letters from the devil and a lot of the time he would make up you know the senders or letter correspondence because he wanted to address a specific topic during that week or it was an actual letter and he just sort of gave his creative witty response to it and either way I'm not entirely sure it matters because it's still the same content that you're getting and I mean quite honestly I haven't I haven't read an article or essay from Anton LaVey that I, I wasn't impressed with. Uh, the man knew how to turn a phrase. He knew how to get to the point and really address it in a way that was completely understood, uh, completely rational, and spoke to, well, each of us who identify as Satanists. This article specifically, I'm going to read you the letter, or the supposed letter, written to him, and I'll... I'll sort of give you his response, um, you know, with my own little perspective uh, added in. Okay. Dear Dr. LeVay, I have wanted to become a member of your church, but have hesitated, mainly because of confused state of mind. Not because I don't know what I want, but not knowing how to begin to seek ways of fulfillment my delightful sin fantasies. I am 56 years of age, well built in excellent health, and completely masculine in appearance. My sinful desires are completely the opposite. My only masculinity that I offer the outside world is through the necessity of working for my creature comforts, a sphere in which I do rather well. In the past few years, my emotional needs have changed, and I find myself obsessed by becoming a true character of my fantasies. Homosexuality, masochism, transvestitism, the above defines my sexual drives. As an example of my sinful desires, I am the slave of a couple, 
dominant, sadistic, and very imaginative in their pursuit of sexual pleasure. About my own age, or a few years younger, both bisexual. My uniform consists of the following. I'm laced into a long, old-fashioned corset, on top of which I wear a long, black, starched dress, reaching from neck to ankles. My apron is of the same length, full around the hips, heavily starched, either white or blood-red. My hair and ears are wrapped in a starched kerchief, the same color as the apron. Is there a witch's coven here in Detroit which I could become a part of? This way, at least, while watching the pleasure of others, I could discuss my own dreams and desires and perhaps meet someone sympathetic toward my needs and wants and very, very unsympathetic towards me if they found pleasures in sadism. As a married man, now living alone with my wife, I realize the time has come to indulge myself in the lusts and perversities which no doubt have been laying dormant within me for years and find completeness in my own bizarre way of life. Sex to my wife is still the same shameful sin as it was taught to her as a child by narrow-minded, bigoted parents, whose ideas of lust and perversity was to indulge the, in intercourse twice in one night. <sighs> Sex between us has reached the stage of a big zero. In fact, actual intercourse hasn't happened between us in over two years. Since that time, I have joined a few underground clubs, and while having reached many interesting letters, distance has prevented my meeting most of them. Of the very few I did manage to meet, only two were compatible, both homosexuals, one a bondage enthusiast and one a transvestite, both very dominant and both delightful delighted only in one-sided oral sex with myself as the recipient of their discharge. In the name of Satan, I bring this letter to a close, and in his name fervently pray that through you my sinful pleasures will become plentiful and fruitful. Your disciple, R.S. Detroit, Michigan. Alright, a few things about that. First, that dude. Oh my gosh. There's always a bit of pretentiousness that precedes anyone who is speaking to the devil, you know? I mean, he's always, my master, or I'll hail thee. It's just, shut, shut up. Just speak your mind and move along. I don't want the niceties. I don't want the pretension. Really, I don't want the pretension. I mean, other than it just being a sin amongst us Satanists, more than anything else, it makes, it, it puts you in the subdominant role immediately. Immediately. And you may not think that, but that just means you don't know, you don't understand uh, human behavior or uh, the expression of specific uh, uh, behaviors. Now, now let's be honest here. Uh, and this is something I've spoken to early in the show's history as well. Showing courtesy is different than showing pretentiousness. Um, and really going above and beyond in, in lowering yourself below those you see as your superiors in, uh, I don't know, wit, experience, um, uh, stature, whatever it is. If you're a real human being, act like one. And if you're not, then we're going to see through it anyway. 
Okay, so that's the first thing I noticed. He's he's sort of bowing down in that that sort of in the name of Satan I bring as if it's some like weird religious uh, Christian thing in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Give me a damned break. Okay, so outside of that, there's a couple things he's addressing in this letter that I think are are very interesting, and Anton Lavey points to as well. And you can actually read this yourself. Like I said, pick up Letters from the Devil, published by Underworld Amusements. Um, and you can read it for yourself here. But a couple things, okay? The Church of Satan was really the first religious institution to not hold any shame when it comes to personal expression of sexual desires. It's encouraged among, and Anton LaVey points this out, consenting adults. So that's the most important thing that you can see there. Because at the time, that was not an accepted thing. Everyone was against homosexuality. Even homosexuals felt this thick layer of shame and embarrassment about what they were doing because they were taught that it was completely disgusting and wrong. Whether you're born that way or not is irrelevant when you're acting it out compulsively and you can't help it. I mean, it's the same as if they told me that loving women was wrong and I just would have to keep doing it. Shame and all. Of course, I do, honestly, on a little side note, believe that if there's no shame the morning after, you're doing it wrong. A little side note there. All right, so, one, sexual expression. It's completely healthy. Whatever your uh, fetish is, there are others out there like it. But that doesn't mean that you have to join the Church of Satan in order to enjoy it. All you have to do is shake loose your inhibitions. And nowadays... That shouldn't be a big deal. When this was written, it was, so I understand it. Secondly, he's asking about this witch's coven in which he can uh, find others like him to, to express themselves. And this is a common misconception, I think, amongst uh, the uninitiated or the uninformed about Satanism. Is that it's this weird, and this is a pure Christian idea, is that it's this weird sex cult that... Uh, does everything they can to to be the opposite of Christianity and to hate God and to indulge in everything that they think and, and, and that means sex in every possible imaginative way uh, that would be against the or an affront to God. That's absurd. It's just ridiculous. That has nothing to do with anything. We encourage the healthy expression of your own fetishes amongst consenting adults. That's all. It, it has nothing to do with sex groups or cults. And personally, I don't know of any purely satanic group that uh, indulges like this. I, I just really don't think it exists. And, and I'm not entirely sure I would want it to exist if it did. Because what it does is instead of allowing you to express yourself in an open way in the real world, it's confining yourself to this weird sort of subculture group. Uh, so it's almost like a shameful expression. You have to go underground to be honest about yourself. And that's not what Satanism is about at all. So uh, that's number two. And then, you know, number three, he was talking about wanting to join the church of Satan. And this is something that I get asked, and really anyone who's out as a Satanist gets asked this a number of times a month or so. 
Um, how can I learn more about the Church of Satan? And it's funny because the information has been out there for so doggone long, it's weird that you would even be asked that. Pick up the Satanic Bible. And I get this a lot with with this podcast, is, is people sending me correspondence saying, you know, I don't know that I identify with myself as a Satanist, but I enjoy hearing about the philosophy and I enjoy your show. And for me, that's a huge, huge thing. I, I, I truly appreciate it because that, one, means that th- the stigma associated with Satanism is dying out because that stigma was born out of ignorance and lies. And so that's dying out. So that's a good thing. Um, and two, it's that Satanism is not this weird anti-Christian thing that people understood it as for decades. And that's being recognized now. So I appreciate that. And three, it's to understand that you don't need to be a Satanist or you don't need to be pretend to be a Satanist to truly enjoy life. You just have to stop lying to yourself. And to be quite honest, Satanism has never been... Um, about proselytizing and and recruitment. So if you don't think you're a Satanist, you're not. Or if someone you care about exhibits satanic um, behaviors but doesn't identify with themselves as Satanists, they are not Satanists. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that they're not one of us. So we have to stop pretending. We have to stop pushing our own wants and needs onto others. And this is a big thing, and, and, and it's actually really, really problematic. Again, a sin. So keep that in mind, and realizing that in order to express yourself sexually, specifically with this article, you don't need to be a Satanist. You just need to be a mature adult um, and shake loose your childhood delusions forced on you, you know, by your, like, religious parents or, or religious culture. And that if you are a Satanist, there are resources out there for you. First, the Satanic Bible. Second, the Church of Satan website. And third, I, I would actually say second would be the Satanic Scriptures. Let me correct that. And then the Church of Satan website. There's some amazing articles there. But there are a lot of resources out there, both in um, uh, printed and digital formats that you can understand the philosophy and study and enrich your understanding of experience and of life. And that's what it's all about. So this has been a really long devil's advocate. I appreciate you sitting through it, but, but take that home if nothing else. Don't pretend to be a Satanist if you're not one. Period. It's shameful. It's disgusting. Don't do it. It doesn't make you more interesting of an individual. It makes you fake. And no one likes fake. And if you are a Satanist, recognize your passions and your sexual drives and run with them. You don't need a group to do it. That's all. Enjoy it. Letters from the Devil. Underworld Amusements. Check it out. That's going to do it for this Devil's Advocate. Let's go ahead and jump into Infernal Informant. Psst. Hey, hey. Hey, come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're religious, man, aren't you? No more than anyone else. Listen. Listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I got to share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. 
are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's, it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. This is from foxnews.com. Did Ed Coach really say that about Obama? By Michael Goodwin, posted uh, January 10th. Notwithstanding Ed Coach's reputation for candor, I didn't believe my eyes when I read that Coach said he knew President Obama would renege on his support of Israel. Coach said his only shock was that it happened so soon, citing Obama's nomination of former Republican Senator Chuck Hagel to be Defense Secretary, according to the Algeminer newspaper. Is it true? Did Coach really say that? I did say it, he told me Tuesday, adding he was making a point about why he had endorsed Obama despite such misgivings. People don't really change when you get to this age, the former mayor said of Obama. So I had no doubt that with the course of time, his new strength would weaken. Still, he insists, I don't regret supporting him. I believe it bought time. I'm just sorry it was so short-lived. Now it was my turn to be shocked. Not over the fact that Koch thinks Hegel is a disaster for America and Israel. I agree. Rather, I'm shocked that Koch is shocked at Obama. How could he not see the betrayal would be instant? Except during his two campaigns, Obama consistently tilted away from Israel and towards its enemies. His uncertain policy toward Iran, which has threatened to wipe Israel off the map, has unnerved many Israelis and Americans, and his antagonistic attitude toward Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sealed the impression of hostility. Coach is no stranger to Obama's history, but takes a more pragmatic view when leaning by the president's personal charm in a private meeting they had. He's not anti-Semitic. He's not anti-Israel, Coach told me. He has a philosophy of getting Islamic nations close to the U.S., even if it means creating tension with Israel. He believed Obama would win re-election and that support would earn his views at a hearing. He also credits Obama for rejecting full Palestinian statehood at the United Nations and for helping Israel during its fight with Hamas. He stood like an oak in support of Israel, Coach declares. Or maybe that was the price Obama had to pay for support in the campaign. My view is that now... He's got four more years with about 65% of the Jewish vote. Obama's free to stop pretending and to nominate Hegel. Obama didn't prick him, despite Hegel's dovish views on Iran, hawkish views against Israel, and eagerness to cut our military. He picked Hegel because of those views. Remember, what Obama told the Russians, he would have more flexibility once he never again had to answer to voters. Well, welcome to the Mideast Reset. Similarly, Obama's choice for John Brenner to head the CIA isn't a clumsy breach of liberal faith. The Bush administration's use of waterboarding on three murderous detainees was deemed torture by Obama and Brennan, who was part of the Bush's team, got to his job in the Obama White House by claiming he had opposed waterboarding. Whatever the truth under Obama, Brennan blessed the drone killing of hundreds of foreign fighters, so he went from fake drowning to fatal drowning sorry, droning, and is now considered grade A to leftists who called Bush a Nazi. It's all part of the Obama double standard, where down is up if he says so.
Elections have consequences, none more than this one. With Obama free from voter accountability and blessed with weak and divided opponents, America better be prepared for even more radical policies, sweetened with semantic fakery. Take his priceless introduction of Hegel. Chuck represents the bipartisan tradition that we need more of in Washington, Obama said. That sounds like one thing, but means another. Because Obama's definition of bipartisanship is when Republicans agree 100% with him. Hegel, by endorsing Obama in 2008, fits this definition. Ergo, he's bipartisan, and by picking him, Obama is too. And both are friends of Israel. That's the article. And, and let me say, this entire article was written with a set agenda. And that was to state that Hegel and Obama hate Israel. Now, this is, this is a theme that has been running in the Republican campaign for a little over a year now. And it's a complete lie. And I say this as someone who is very critical of Israel himself. Now, look. I think Obama should be harder on Israel. We back their bullshit uh, bully on the playground plays since we created them with the UN and plucked them down in Palestinians' backyard, kicked them out of their house, and allowed them to keep building their house uh, structures into Palestinian territory. Uh, even though, in, in the other hand, we're, we're saying it's illegal the whole time. No repercussions! But then we have other people who see this and don't like it, and we can't side with them because then we would be seen as anti-Semitic, even though it has nothing to do with the Jewish religion, it has nothing to do with Jewish people, it has everything to do with the nation of Israel, and if you can't make the distinction between those, there's no hope for you. So, let's look at it this way. Hegel believes, and Obama believes, that we should not back every play Israel makes for the sake of U.S. individuality and strength. You tell me what's wrong with that. You honestly, objectively look at it and say that if we don't bend to every move that Israel makes, somehow we are less as Americans? No, it's the opposite. That proves we have American self-interest at heart. Because we're not going to take another nation and make it our foreign policy. We're going to look at their behaviors and say, that's, well, we're not really going to back that because that's some bullshit. This is the first step into what I've been talking about for two years now. We cannot back every bullshit play Israel makes. Now, I understand people are all butthurt about it since World War II, and that's fine, you can be. I don't care. No one is a Nazi in this scenario. Everyone is saying that you can't go back to Nazi bullshit to make your play. You cannot excuse your behaviors because you were picked on at one time in history. Or, in their case, maybe more than once. <laughs> the point stands. They are using hatred against them to justify hatred against other people. At our peril, we back them. And we have to stop. And so when we see anyone remotely deciding that no, American foreign policy does not equal Israeli foreign policy, well, suddenly you're anti-Semitic. Suddenly you're no longer pro-Israel. How about we just let people take responsibility for their own actions? That's how I see it. 
Let's let Israel take responsibility for their own actions. If they want to build illegal settlements, fine, let them build them and then suffer the consequences for doing so. But instead, no, Republicans, a lot of Democrats, and the majority of Americans say no, we should back them because there's some weird connection, I don't know, with uh, the Old Testament? This made-up tome, and we need to, I don't know what, pretend that it's relevant to today's science, <laughs> math, and logical minds? I, I, I just don't understand the connection there. We, we put Israel on this pedestal, and it doesn't belong to be there. It never has. But literally, we put it there. And so Republicans up in arms. How can you possibly think of America before you think of Israel? Oh, really? Is that really? These are the same people that are saying that Obama's anti-American, but yet when he takes America's side over Israel's, um, he's the bad guy? At least pick your story and stick to it, you retards. I'm so sick and tired of these parties, whether it's Republican or Democrat, mostly in my opinion Republican, making up these bullshit claims that they know are bullshit, but Americans are stupid enough to believe them and then continue running with them, even when they switch sides entirely of their own argument that they created. Americans believe it and eat it up. We are so stupid. It's painful. And if we continue to back this Israel train, it's going to lead to trouble. I'm not meaning in this grandiose sense of the word. I'm talking about as Americans. We need to look out for ourselves. The Americans. Not the Israelis. The Americans. That's my point. And it's funny because the majority of Republicans are constitution-towing uh, fanatics. And yet, they want to back another nation more than their own. Where is your sense of individuality? Where is your American spirit? Hmm. Alright, the next one is Powell blasts GOP's dark vein of intolerance. And this is from CBS News. Uh, Jake Miller wrote it and posted January 13th. Former Secretary of State Colin Powell... Colin Powell, a Republican who crossed party lines to endorse President Obama in 2008 and 2012, scalded his party for harboring a dark vein of intolerance Sunday, saying that GOP has to take a very hard look at itself. There is a dark vein of intolerance in some parts of the party, Powell said on NBC's Meet the Press. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that they still sort of look down on minorities. As evidence, Powell pointed to a number of statements that were directed at Mr. Obama during the campaign by Republicans, statements that he believes were radically motiv or I'm sorry, racially motivated. When I see a former governor say that president is shucking and jiving, that's a racial era slave term, Powell said of Sarah Palin's description of the president's response to the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya. He also took issue with former New Hampshire Governor John Sununu's characterization of the president as lazy following a tepid performance in the first presidential debate. He didn't say he was slow, he was tired, 
he didn't do well. He said he was lazy. Now, it may not mean anything to most Americans, Powell said, but to those of us who are African Americans, the second word is shiftless. And then there's a third world word that goes along with it. Powell also singled out the birther movement for criticism, expressing amazement that Republicans have not excommunicated the fringe conspiracy theorists from the party. The whole birther movement? Why do senior Republicans tolerate this kind of discussion within the party? Powell asked, counseling the party that take a look at itself. Powell noted, in a mod I'm a moderate but I'm still a Republican, and fretted that his party may soon be facing obsolescence if it does not reorient itself. In recent years, there's been a significant shift to the right on the part of the GOP, Powell said, and we have seen what that shift has produced to losing presidential campaigns. I think what the Republican Party needs to do now is take a very hard look at itself and understand that the country has changed. The country is changing demographically, and if the Republican Party does not change along with that demographic, they're going to be in trouble. And Powell argued that the problem is more message than messenger. Beyond public relations and optics to the Republican platform itself, and advised the GOP to moderate its stance on education, immigration, and climate change to attract new voters. Everybody wants to talk about who's going to be the candidate, Powell said. You've got to think first about what the party actually is going to represent. If it's going to represent the far right wing of the political spectrum, I think the party is in difficulty. And this, and that's the article. Uh, this last election cycle was hands down proof positive that the Republican Party, regardless of the nominee, is full of crazies that do not stand a chance. If Mitt Romney was the best that the Republican Party had to offer, it's on the out. You can't argue with that. that, that that's a fact. The fact is that they have gone against what the Republican Party originally stood for, literally almost done a complete 180, and is now really shucking off the Constitution, supporting the Tea Party, Tea Party uh, really at their detriment, and, and their admitted detriment, which ironically is claiming to back the Constitution, all the while spouting racial and segregation mantras. I just don't... <laughs> I, I, I don't see how this party has the chance of even existing at all. If it wasn't for big money, literally, there would never have even been a question. Now, those of you who listen to my show know that I did not think that there was ever a question um, on whether or not Obama would be reelected. Good or bad? Good or bad? I have some serious issues with Obama, personally, um, with his political uh, choices here. But, <laughs> there's no way in hell a Republican, which has tied itself to the religious right, which is the opposite of everything I believe in, everything that I live, everything that I breathe, could possibly win in today's demographic of America is absurd. They have to relax on the religious right rhetoric, they have to relax on their social views, and then suddenly their common sense, completely logical economic views, in my opinion, 
would resonate so much louder with everyone. All they have to do is stop acting like the crazy bigots that used to be the Democrats. It's crazy. <laughs> um, will they? Well, I guess we're going to see in this next election. But I got to tell you, if they don't, if they double down on this Tea Party, racist, bigoted shit that they've, religious right shit that they've been sort of pandering to, there's no way in hell that they're going to win another election. They've got to pull it back and they've got to realize that there are people that want to be economic conservatives, but they just cannot. They cannot wrap their head around believing and voting for someone that is so out of touch with modern day social progressive platforms. There's just, it's just not possible. So that's my opinion. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a progressive, a social progressive I'm very much a fiscal conservative, and I've been called everything from a a, a, um, a left-wing liberal to a conservative Republican by other people, and that lets me know that I'm very healthy in the middle of where I want to be, like I, I right where I want to be, right in the middle, because I don't cater to the leftist crazy nut jobs, and I don't cater to the um, right-wing religious fanatics. Um, I take little pieces in each party and I take pieces of independence and I form them together into a third side political worldview that doesn't fit any party and, and never will. And that's a good thing. So, all right. And that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. Thank you for sitting through that. And I have an amazing interview with Shay Belay coming up next. What's this show called? Well, what do you mean? What is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What, what's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other Generation Y's or X's or W's or Z's or, or, or whatever fancy letter you're, you're sitting on today to, to realize that it's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly on uh, Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea that what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday, and we didn't know what shows were, what what titles were, or or what. We, we had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by a very special guest, Shay Belay. We're going to be talking about his upcoming album, Seem Soon, and specifically uh, the track Beast Unburdened we're going to be playing in the middle of the show. I've, let me uh, first start off, uh, how are you, man? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Adam. How are you? Very good. Thanks for coming on. I actually was first exposed to your music by the news feed for The Church of Satan, I always kind of keep my eye on that, and I saw your uh, post come up, and I was a little taken aback. I think uh, the album cover, or at least the art, cover art, um, of that uh, news feed and for the Team Zoom album was incredibly striking, uh, a bit provoking, and I, it took me a little bit to find the actual music behind that, but once I did, I, I didn't even know what to expect, but uh, I was uh, taken aback. I was really, really digging what you're doing, man. Thank you very much. Actually, that's the, uh, I, I suppose that's the aim of the uh, cover art for the single and the, the concept behind it um, was to definitely 
uh, not only from an audio uh, aspect of it or musical aspect of it, but uh, to kind of draw a reality or draw a sense of uh, uh, some type of draw uh, from the uh, visual aspect of it as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's the, well, I mean, let's sort of describe this here really quick so that the audience who hasn't seen it yet, um, but you should go check out either the newsfeed for the Church of Satan website, or you can actually check out the artwork on, um, well, I guess you could see it everywhere. I mean, you have your Facebook page, you have your uh, SoundCloud page, you have a YouTube page up, and it's all under, for example, soundcloud.com slash Lebay, and that's S-H-E-A-B-I-L-E. But, um... Yeah, so it's uh, where the wild things are outfit, right? Sure, I had that, uh, the concept of Max from where the wild things are. I'd always been a fan of uh, Sandak's work, uh, Maury Sandak, who did, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where the wild things are and uh, in the night kitchen. And I was drawn to that uh, in my youth, as quite a few are. And uh, I noticed later, um, later on that there was a kind of transgressive element to his some of the representations, some subtle elements to his art, and I had uh, taken a trip to Joshua Tree, and I had a kind of daydream like uh, I wouldn't say vision so much as to uh, I saw the image of Max uh, kind of walking through the desert of Joshua Tree in California, and walking through the desert as a solemn figure, and uh, I instantly knew that that would be. Uh, imagery that would fit uh, the the coming project that would follow uh, the musical project that I would take up during that time is a bit over a year ago. So that's what uh, I ended up being the core um, imagery and to kind of underlie the concept behind Samsung and and what it represented, um, the ideas that it would represent. Nice. Well, I was actually, I mean, you know, like virtually every, well, let's say every independent thinking adult that has ever been exposed to that book was really, really moved by it. What do you think? Well, let me, let me ask this. Do you think at that time when you uh, visited the Joshua tree and you had that expression, that experience of seeing Max, do you think it was the message of the story or do you think it was something that he symbolized in your life that provoked that vision? Well, I think uh, it, it, kind of both, uh, it kind of represented both metaphors. I think that the, I was trying to find something behind the uh, message that I wanted to deliver in the album itself, and that was someone uh, seeking a divinity or an internalized God, uh, some type of divine power, or, um, and I use that word in a certain sense. I know that probably a bit of your, um, probably the audience, we would have a certain idea behind uh, what is spiritual, what is divine. But I wanted to, I was coming to a point in, in my life and concept where I wanted to redefine spirituality or redefine what is divine, what is um, this empowerment. And it uh, kind of represented a story of uh, someone who becomes disenchanted with the world, as I'm sure a lot of people would um, be able to identify with, becoming disenchanted with the world and its idea of what is a uh, what is empowerment? What is personal empowerment? What is divinity? What is spirituality? What is spiritual strength? So on and so forth. And so he leaves the world in anger. He comes upon an island uh, filled with dark things. These demonic figures that end up becoming a part of his psyche. I mean, they're representative of his own internal 
uh, imaginings, his own personality traits, and he finds out that these these beasts are part of himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, he responds to that by by blatantly kind of commanding them by looking into all of their yellow eyes all at once. And he ends up controlling them and becoming the king of the beasts and uh, having control of this eye. And I felt that that was a very pertinent and uh, apt description of my own kind of evolution, um, uh, my own evolution of my beliefs and philosophy and spirituality. Uh, and a very satanic story, uh, journey, if you will. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, just that, uh, the way you describe that, it falls in line um, perfectly with that 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 typical uh, left-hand path discovery of Satanism that you hear from, you know, pretty much anyone who has identified themselves as a Satanist. Uh, sure. That idea that we see, and, and it really it can just be a metaphor for the self-actualization of an individual, where you, you know, you're only worried about small things like having fun and security and safety, and then you start to develop as an adult, and you realize that these, these uh, external factors that are evoking these uh, monsters within you, emotion and... Um, um, uh, really just the the complexities of growing into a young man or woman uh, start to assault you and you don't really know how to take hold of them but it's that journey of discovery towards self-actualization that is sort of mirrored in that so is that concept really core to the album that you're putting out or is that just sort of a metaphor that plays into some of the tracks in your album no it, it absolutely plays into uh the the concept of the album itself i think I think you hit it uh, pretty dead on the ideas of uh, a lot of us. A lot of us, um, especially in time of adolescence, uh, finding a identification with our spiritual beliefs. Especially when you find out that your beliefs are um, more or less extremely fringe mm-hmm. and dissident, um, but it feels very natural and empowering at the same time. Um, and it's it's kind of a struggle of sorts. So uh, that that is the. Uh, at the forefront of the of the concept and the message behind the album, the album is kind of kind of going through my story of uh, my journey of redefining, uh, I guess, God. I think for a long time, I shied away from that concept, the dirty G word, right? <laughs> it was, I mean, the dirty three lettered word, uh, actually four lettered if we're talking about YHVH or Yahweh, yeah. um, Tetragrammaton. So the, the dirt, the, the original dirt, uh, four dirty, four lettered word. And I think shied away from that very much. So I shied away from mentions of spirit, um, levels of staunch atheism for a long time, mm-hmm. but it was rediscovering this idea of what God means and kind of, I guess, um, I guess repossessing that idea and that concept and uh, taking it back with uh, and kind of taking it back into my own identity and coming up with a personal identification for it and rediscovering not what the world has come to define as God or what is God or or uh, what manner of uh, identity and what that means, but taking that back and kind of redefining that and redefining spirituality on my own terms mm-hmm. uh, as an internalized thing, as a uh, self-identification as the most high, as a god. And the uh, and Seem Sum itself kind of outlines that journey and doing that in a world that generally does not accept people for having that type of empowerment. 
does not accept us for having a this kind of empowering view of ourselves. I mean, we definitely have a limit on on that on, on in society. So, kind of the the uh, kind of the disenchantment that occurs when dealing in a society that thinks on those terms, on those limiting terms of of self awareness and self empowerment. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be playing uh, one of the tracks from the album Team Zoom here in just a minute. But before I do, I wanted to sort of kind of get a feel for where you come from as an artist. When when did you start realizing, and you know, maybe I'll start by asking, do you see yourself as, and this will make sense when the audience actually hears the music, but do you see yourself as more of a, a poet, an author, or do you see yourself more as a musician? Well, it's, uh, I think, both... Uh... Po poets being called a poet, I think, is a that is a term that is earned. Uh, I think I liken poet as to priest or prophet. I think being a uh, being a poet literally translates to being able to take truth from the fourth and fifth dimension, or from a dimension of imagination, mm -hmm. from outside our physical realm, and being able to translate that into words. Um, so I've been called a poet, and I and I t I take that term with with pride. Um, so first and foremost, I think uh, in those terms. But um, uh, in in regards to music, uh, I I feel that uh, I draw from all kinds of influences that have come forth to kind of uh, create the soundscape for this album and for the music that that comes from it. Yeah. I mean, right now you have a couple tracks available. And if you go to uh, audience, if you go to soundcloud.com slash you'll be able to actually listen to a couple of these tracks, including the one I'm going to be playing here in a minute. But I mean, you really do have this uh, spoken word vibe that I mean, there are elements that can be found of it in other artists out there. Um, but you do it in a really natural way. It doesn't feel like it's forced or phony, and that's something that, at least in my experience, is incredibly prevalent in any um, in any poetic circles or or just sure, like sort sure. of open mic nights. Sure, it's really fake. But and and I have to say, it, it's really surprising to me. I've always said uh, on the show w that people come to Satanism, self-identifying themselves as Satanists, usually in one of two paths, and it's usually either the staunch atheist path. Or the sort of occult path, you know, you kind of come into it. But listening to the the patterns in your speech when you're uh, performing, and the actual words that you're using, and sort of the the visuals that I that I sort of get from your voice, I'm surprised that you came from a position of staunch atheism. I thought it would have been much more of a maybe esoteric occult nature. No, absolutely, and you're absolutely right. And thank you very much, uh, very kind words. I think. Um, I come, I initially was drawn to the occult first. I only mentioned staunch atheism because there's, I, I wanted to draw a contrast in how we all experience a, a phase of that mm -hmm. and how we kind of rebuke the idea of uh, spirituality or what, or what that means. But um, I definitely um, grew up around elements of, of, of the occult in one sense or another. And uh, that's where I first, I first came to realize that in my young adolescence around the time that I began writing. And uh, I come from a, a spoken word background, uh, performance poetry in uh, uh, Los Angeles, Orange County, just in the SoCal area, and, and kind of gained notoriety as a performance poet with my kind of uh, chaotic 
uh, or chaos ritual or chaotic ritual elements of performance mm -hmm. um, and mix that with spoken word and uh, music accompaniment. And that, that became a part of my act. And this album, musically and lyrically, is kind of a culmination of those aspects, uh, refined. But uh, definitely the spoken word poetry to me has always been a natural form of expression. It's my background as an artist, at least the most potent part of my background. Um, and I've just been writing poetry for, for some time. And um, besides this various publication, published a book of poetry uh, in, in my, in a few years ago. And I've just been a part of the, the poetry scene. And, and the album is a uh, kind of the, the peak of that and, and, the, and taking together all these thoughts and putting them into a viable format. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and listen to Be Some Burdened, uh, and this is from the upcoming album, Team Tsum. And then when we're finished, let me ask you a little bit about um, the collection of individuals that helped you uh, with this track and with this album that's coming out. Sure, absolutely. of a shattered sun condense the twilight and unfold the threshold to the hereafter. Let the beasts of unknown angles light the sky aflame and emblazon my sight with heretical heritage. Write upon my heart that sacred symbology, that ancient language of Nephilim angels, those words and names only a man can pronounce. In trapezoidal dreams and living visions, I've extended my perceptions past the fractal fragments of the mind's mirror and through shadowed glass forests I emerged with my solemn companions, the hounds of the barrier. Their voices are the echo dreams of my dead fathers and the unwritten wishes of my children's future. Their eyes are oceans of my ancestors' reflections, the illustrations of a million madmen, the paintings of the unmapped infinite, rendered uncolored with pigments of the past. Their gazes are not only piercing, but prolific ancient halls of intention, where stony talismanic gates, covered in carvings of inhuman faces, await the progenitors of prophecy. Blessed by the presence of my companions, I dilate and die, sacrificing my mind's eye and every word of my life's work, so that I may absorb the sunlit skies into my own eyes, commanding the keys of these to be to open the doors of my destiny. And from this mist, a formless chorus comes forth to sing songs to me, branded songs sung in infinite octaves and silent keys. From these noteless verses, stories of me, of my history as a god written with the inks of eternity from this grotto of the beyond. And finally I hear whispers of the great law, a first gift presented by set to the descendants of an endless desert. And then my transcendence is triggered, a cosmic weapon fired from the tops of pyramids. And I am the chosen one, I am a winged being stepping through space freely, the flare spotted on the sun. I am all the Anunnaki, I am life sentences, sourced by divinity 15 billion years in the making. I am the beast of Eden, eating Adam's apple. I'm the vengeance of Lilith and the fruit of an endangered people. I'm the name of Legion, flowing downward like demons. The essence of six rivers and the crime angels once defeated. I am every vision of Ragnarok. I'm the footprints of giants and all the watchers watching from every mountaintop. I'm the 
December 22nd, I am the first moment after the galactic clock stopped. That was Beast Unburdened. I'm talking to Shea Boulay, the artist uh, from the upcoming album, uh, it seems to him. So who all was a part of this, uh, making this happen? So the the initial foundation to the music came about as um, there was there was a lot of work that I'd done in the past with a uh, close friend of mine that I performed with. His name's Nathan Gordon. He plays guitar on uh, on a majority of the tracks. And uh, during the the time I've done a lot of performance poetry, we had a, a couple of um, couple of songs, a couple of pieces that uh, were kind of redefining and putting into the album. And a, a lot of it's uh, kind of new material that we've that uh, we created for the album itself. Um, a third aspect to it is the producer and engineer I work with. His name's Ian Flux on the Fly Audio, and uh, it, between the three of us is pretty much created the brainchild that is this album, and uh, kind of uh, putting uh, putting it all together in different aspects. So we all play different instruments: myself, piano, synthesizer. Um, some co-production, uh, Nathan Gordon doing some guitar, acoustic guitar, and then electric guitar and some bass um, by, Ian, by Ian Flux. So we're all contributing to it uh, in a musical aspect, instrumentally, um, and the lyrics, of course, myself. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you, how do you define the sound of the music? Uh, how do you identify uh, with it? Well, it's, it's hard to peg it, yeah. and I guess a lot of people... Um, and I think that's kind of the general reaction to the music itself. It's not easily defined. And I kind of take, take pride in that. And I think that's not exactly what we aim for, but what we kind of knew would occur. Um, myself coming from a kind of colored background musically, uh, listening to everything from black metal to underground hip hop to trip hop to a lot of other influences. And, uh, having some black metal influences in there as well, some uh, folk influences. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, it kind of defies an easy definition to the music itself because mm -hmm. it comes from a whole lot of different places. All of them though, having a hint of dissonance or having a level of dissonance behind it. I guess there's a level of punk rock in, in quite a few mediums and we're utilizing, uh, every aspect of it, um, from whatever, comes forth and the album itself is going to have a, a wide range of that. Um, that's why the initial single I had to put two tracks because I didn't want it to be seen as exactly folk. I wanted also to get a taste of the um, the other elements that exist in it too and kind of draw a nice picture of what uh, the album itself represents musically. Yeah. Well you guys are doing an amazing job. I'm really really stoked to, to get my hands on this album. What? How many tracks are you planning on putting together for the uh, Teen Zoom? Well, it's going to be, uh, it's actually going to be two releases. I'm looking at, uh, Seam Soom itself is going to be uh, seven tracks, and then I'm going to release a four-track EP on top of that, both of them kind of being, uh, coming together as a story itself, um, both of it having a kind of conceptual and, and occult meaning behind that. But So there will be, there'll be two releases, uh, so the first release will be seven songs. Nice. Uh, and what about the, the album? I mean, we talked about the concept of the album. Uh, what about the name, the title there, Seam Soom? Seam Soom is a, 
uh, term I, I came across when looking deeper into Kabbalistic theory. Um, the idea of uh, Simsum itself is the idea of the contraction of God. So this idea that God removed a part of uh, himself. Um, I say that with a level of a level of apprehension, but it removed a, a a part of himself in order to create an empty space. So the idea that uh, there is an imperfection that's interwoven into the foundation of our reality. So that because we live in an imperfect world, at least in the I idea of the ancient Jewish um, mystical thought, mm -hmm. that uh, then God must have naturally removed a part of himself to make it possible. Um, so this idea of the contraction of God, so God removing himself, I think was a, uh, a perfect representation of what the album is trying to, uh, trying to express. At the same time, this uh, idea of the Zephyrot, or the, uh, the tree of life, this ascension to, um, to deify oneself, or the Klippot, which is the opposite spectrum, the inverse tree of life. So it's, uh, it, the seems to is just kind of the, kind of gathers that aspect together. Nice. In those terms. And I have to say, one of the things that I absolutely adore about Satanism is that you know, it's not one of those religions that if you explore the possibility of anything else that you're suddenly shunned or something, that it encourages uh, study and it encourages um, learning new things, looking at life in new ways so that you can identify and, and really, you know, become a, a free thinking individual. And that's why I love uh, looking at esoteric um ideas and and trying to deconstruct them about what was the original meaning when they were written uh, where did they come from uh, why are they even prevalent still today and that's why I'm always fascinated with um, occult ideas I mean really you know it's turned in nowadays it's turned into this weird new age kind of hokey bullshit thing but there are some core that's, elements that's always thought. existed yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but there's like these little gems within uh, these other ideas that Though I don't personally identify with them, I love to sort of break them down and, and, and see where they come from. And just that idea of what you're, you were speaking to with the, the album name itself, uh, I, I actually think that, you know, it's little parts, little things like that that help define us as individuals. And it's a little bit depressing that some people shy away from the potential of learning something new outside of their sort of box, you know. No, I agree. I think the the occult, if anything else, and I think uh, you could go either way. I think some people um, are drawn to it for one reason or the other. But I think for me, the the uh, the different aspects of the occult, the different path that exists within it. For me, it's it's a great story. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I, I very much do believe in in magic, as you would call it, or uh, consciousness manifestation and and so forth, and the occult ideas. I think. Our actual reality is a little more complex than that, than just physical matter and spiritual and cutting this into a dichotomy, a simple dichotomy. And the root of Satanism is finding the third side of the argument and a way to kind of bring together these ideas. And I feel that uh, the occult, things hidden, um, are naturally empowering. And, uh, you know, adventuring uh, into this uh, unknown world has always been a source of empowerment for me. Mm. Because uh, these are all dissident ideas. These are all beliefs that are 
very difficult for people to come into willingly. Um, and they're naturally intimidating. And I think that's because the unknown, the darkness, is not so much a place to be feared, to be in, to intimidate you, but that's the source of our being. That's why we're drawn to that kind of thing, because it's, uh, it's a natural place um, for us to... Um, this is a natural source of all things, I imagine. It's just the, the idea of the darkness, the idea of shadows, is not so much a counter to the light, but more, more or less precedes the light. Um, so I think the, the occult for me personally has been uh, weapons of identity, um, especially in a, in a place that has uninspired ideas of spirituality, mm. uninspired ideas of identity, and uninspired ideas of uh, expression. Um, so I guess nowadays more than ever, I think beyond our level of uh, our heightened level of cynicism, uh, I think that these ideas are, are very important to kind of at least be cognizant of, uh, that they exist, um, for those reasons. Well, y your music certainly evokes discussion and, uh, I, I think that's fantastic. So if, if nothing else, it's done an amazing job there, um, Thank you. But I do enjoy listening to it as well. And I wish you the best of luck uh, completing this album and getting it out there because I would love to get my hands on a copy. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's um, been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, hail Satan. Yeah, hail Satan, Adam. Thank you so much. And uh, if any of your listeners um, want to partake in any of the music, they could go on the Bandcamp page, shabelay.bandcamp.com, the SoundCloud uh, pages you mentioned, and the Facebook. And we'll have Twitter and Tumblr up. Uh, very soon. So thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. And that is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Zaynet, Facebook, Google+, Plus, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave your rating or comment. And if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com, and if you'd like your other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, the source for all nine satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!